This morning I want to share with you Isaiah's Messiah. The prophet Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus Christ, and he prophesied 700 years every aspect that the Messiah was going to bring in his ministry. Yet no one fully comprehended it. It says in the Gospel of John, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw the glory of the Messiah. He, he didn't know that he was going to be Yeshua, Jesus, and what he would look like or how he would be. Uh, uh, when it says he saw his glory, he saw the glory of the role of the Messiah, what the Messiah was going to bring and accomplish. But it came to him in visions. It came in pieces. Peter puts it this way. He said this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Messiah in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, were prophesying about a coming Savior, a Messiah that was to come. But they didn't fully comprehend the times. When was this specifically going to happen? And how is it that as they searched and inquired carefully, the sufferings and the glories. Now, how does that work? Isaiah getting a revelation of the glory and majesty of the Messiah, and a couple years later he gets a revelation of his sufferings as a servant. How do you put that all together? How do you comprehend that? You know, sometimes we all think we know exactly how Jesus, when he returns, how everything's going to go. We've put the book of Revelation into a little fact chart and timepiece. And I really wonder how accurate we think we are. Oh, he's coming in all of his majesty and glory. But I don't know so much about the dates and the numbers and the beasts and the images. You see, they'd get images and pictures in the prophetic, and they were trying to comprehend it. Peter goes on and says about the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And Peter's talking to the first century Christian, but in essence, he's talking about every Christian after Christ. These prophets were prophesying to benefit us, to prove that God knew what was going to take place. God said it would take place. It did. And so you can count on every other promise as well. Amen? And so he goes on and he says, he prophesied these things serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. You see, this thing was hidden. It was hidden even from angels. Isaiah is getting revelation from God, and he's searching his own prophetic writings. He's searching all the 
writings of Moses and the law trying to discern Messiah. And who else is trying to comprehend and look into these things? The angelic realm. Because the Bible tells us these things were hidden as a mystery in God. He did not want to reveal anything too specifically because how many of you know there's an enemy? And this enemy was trying from the beginning of time to destroy the salvation of mankind. He did it with Adam and Eve. He did it with the entire human race through the flood. He came and attacked Noah and his sons. He came and tried to uh, stop the seed from propagating and the righteous generations. He raised up nations to try to kill Israel as a nation because Messiah was coming. So God had a hidden work that was yet to be revealed. Angels long to look into it. You know that there are things that you don't understand and you don't know, but they're hidden in God yet to be revealed. He's got a plan for you. He's got an answer for you. You want it figured out and you want it presented in a, in a long form white paper reading exactly how this is going to happen and when, don't we? God says, I'm holding on to it so you can't get robbed. And I'm holding on to it so that you won't mess it up. And in the fullness of time, God will reveal it. You just got to hold on. Even this glory that the angels going before the throne of God and knowing who God is had no idea of the magnitude of what was going to happen. And so I want to share with you what was revealed through Isaiah so that you can begin to understand how amazing this prophecy unfolded. And so we see, first of all, in Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young maiden shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, what's so unusual about that? Young women always get married and have kids. What kind of a sign is that? Did they literally comprehend that the word Alma means young woman, but it also means virgin? Because Judaism, young women were virgins. Did they fully comprehend that God was going to put the seed in a young woman and that literally this child is going to be God with us in human flesh? The angels look at this verse and wonder, what does it mean? Isaiah can't comprehend fully. Who could till? One night, as an angel approaches Mary and says, Blessed are you among women. and The Lord is going to visit upon you and put the seed within you. And a child shall be born. Now, we have the privilege of looking back and saying, yes, that was awesome. But Isaiah couldn't fully comprehend how this was going to unfold. He goes on in chapter 11 and he says, There shall come forth a shoot or a root from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That's awesome. And we all go, yes, we know that. And Isaiah goes, I don't get it. A stump? Who's Jesse? 
What he doesn't know is that many years before the Babylonian captivity, there was going to be a wicked king named Jeconiah that from the line of the tribe of David and that God was going to curse him and all of his children, literally cutting off the tree of David. Yet Messiah is supposed to come from the family tree of David. What happens if you curse the line of David? How are we going to have a king? But he says there's going to be a sprout that rises up from that stump of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, and there's going to be a sprout that comes out. And in that sprout, it's going to bring the fruit of the kingdom of God and the spirit of God will be upon him. And it just happened to work out as Isaiah's trying to figure this out, as the angels are watching and trying to comprehend that there are two descendants of David, one from the kingly line, one from the loyal line royal line, Mary and Joseph, that are going to come together and wed. One legally is the heir to the throne of David, but because of the curse. And Joseph adopts that child, is the father of that child, giving the royal authority to be king through the lineage of David. Who could have planned that out? There is no one else that could take the throne of David except one who was born of a virgin through the line of David. It's incredible. For Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is Messiah. A child? Messiah, child Messiah, from the stump of Jesse, the Spirit shall be upon him to make him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, born of a virgin. See, we can put this together because we know the picture. Have you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together? What's the first thing you do? <laughs> the edges. I like that. I was going for something else. You put the picture of it in front of you. Then you go with the edges. I'm with you on that. How do you know how to put this puzzle together unless you have a reference? Can you imagine Isaiah having all these puzzle pieces but not knowing what the picture looks like? Wonderful. In Hebrew, it means Full of wonder and awe. Was Jesus full of wonder and awe? Yes, he was. Performing miracles and healings and deliverance. He's the counselor. Remember, Isaiah said he was going to be full of wisdom and counsel. Goes on and calls him in Hebrew the El Gabor, the mighty warrior, because he defeated sin and death and the grave. Everlasting Father. In Hebrew, it is Ab Ad, the Father of eternity. He is not Father God. He is the Son eternally. But He is the Father or the one who births eternal life. 
better said, father of eternal life, father of eternity, and the prince of peace. That's what he's going to be. And he says, of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His government shall be upon his shoulder. He will carry the weight of the eternal government of God. And it will bring peace forever. And he will be established on the throne of David. And righteousness and justice, the psalmist says, those are the foundations of the throne of God. This is God. But yet, a child is given. And it says, this is my favorite part of this verse, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord of hosts is Yahweh the Father. And it says his zeal. Zeal means his passion, his drive, his hunger. If there was anything God wanted to do, was to save mankind. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Translated in Greek, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. In Greek language, you put the most important word first in the sentence. In Greek, it reads this way. So loved God the world. What's the first word in that sentence? Say it again. So, so, so loved God. This is his zeal. God had a plan from the beginning of the foundation of earth to save us, to love us, to care for us. It is his zeal that sent his son. It was hidden. No angel or prophet could comprehend the love that would be demonstrated. Isaiah couldn't comprehend this love, this zeal that God had. And he goes on and he finds this in Isaiah 22. It says this, He shall, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one will open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to my father's house. The keys of authority are his. The keys of the kingdom of David. The keys of the kingdom of God. And the reason we say the kingdom of David because it's God's authority ruling on earth. And he's given him the keys to unlock all that God has for us or to shut what does not need to belong there. How many of you need a door opened this morning? Anybody need a door opened? I got one door opener. How many, anybody else, door open? All right, I'm going to wait on you. This is your opportunity to make it known. I need some doors open, Lord. Who's got the keys? Jesus. The authorities, they used to hold the keys on their shoulders. 
strap them there and carry them. It showed the sign of power and authority. How many of you need a door shut? Does anybody need a door shut on your past? Come on, how many of you need it securely locked? Here's the problem. You keep opening it. Jesus, will you shut this door once and for all? Amen? And he says that he is going to fasten him like a peg to a secure place. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. Isn't that something? Everything will be secured upon him. Every promise of God, every work of God, everything that God will ever complete will be secured on the peg of this ruler. It will be driven in and it will never fail. And everything in our lives can hang upon him. Isaiah had no concept of what this peg was. This figurative language they couldn't figure out. The angels are asking, hey, Gabe, do you understand this peg thing? I don't get it. Michael's saying, it's a peg. You hit it in the wall. You're hanging things. God's going to put a wooden peg there. What kind of wooden? Are you kidding me? What's a wooden peg going to do for us? This is symbolic. They didn't understand. I'll tell you what peg was driven into the ground. It was the cross of Christ. And he goes on to say in Isaiah 22, In that day, declares the Lord, the peg that was fastened to a secure place will give way, and it will be cut down and fall, and the Lord and the load that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. What was at one time all things held upon? The law of God, the temple of Israel. All of it has broken down because now there is one mediator between God and mankind. There is one law, the law of Christ, that prevails. It is the cross on which our salvation hangs. It is the cross by which every promise is secured. It is the cross of Christ nailed into the ground for eternity. It is the cross and will always be the cross. When John was looking to the lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation chapter 5, as he turned to see the lion, he saw a lamb as it had been slain sitting on the throne. We will never forget the peg that was driven into the earth. It's the cross of Christ. Salvation comes from him and is sustained by him. Somebody say something. Amen. Amen. And amen. Isaiah could not comprehend this plan. When it came, he said, Isaiah said, a voice is going to cry. I, I, I hear a voice in the, in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And the uneven ground shall become level and the rough place is plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Come on, how many of you have a mountain that you need leveled? How many of you have a valley that needs to be raised up? How many of you need some level ground? 220, 221, we've had enough rocky mountain hilly valleys. How about that, eh? Have you been on a roller coaster ride long enough? Does somebody need some even ground? Oh, God, 2022, make it happen. Oh, my goodness. 
Isaiah heard a voice. He, he heard, prepare the way of Yahweh. He, he had no idea that some camel-haired, locust-eating, wild man was going to show up out of the desert crying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand, and there is one coming that I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces, and I'm baptizing with water, but he's going to come, and he's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. The angels are wondering, what is the voice, and who is it? Who could it be? But you and I know this whole thing was written 700 years before it happened. It got played out, and you and I know the script. We read it, and we know the author. You don't get bored with reruns, do you? <laughs> this is a story we can always tell. And he goes on, and he says this in Isaiah 52. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now, God is going to unveil what was hidden under his cloak of mystery. Isaiah didn't get to see it, but the angels did. They got to announce to the shepherds who this was. Glory to God in the highest. Peace to his people on earth. In this town, in this city of David, shall be born a Savior to all mankind. God made bare his arm. What arm do you think it was? His left one or his right one? Right arm which is representing his saving arm. And where did Jesus ascend to after he died? The right arm, the saving arm of God. He is the right arm of God. He is the arm made bare, now revealed, that God's saving arm is Jesus Christ, the Lord, revealed for all. But what is so, so amazing as they scoured to understand, and as Isaiah looked to find and to consider. He then wrote about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, there are 36 specific details about the Messiah and his suffering. And the chances of one man fulfilling those 36 depictions is 1 to the 68,719,476,736,000 to 1 odds. Pretty impossible. Except for God. It is not impossible. This could not be a fluke. This couldn't be a happenstance. This couldn't be a maybe it's him, maybe it's him specifically played out and filled out by Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what Isaiah wrote. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Can you imagine 
Isaiah is beginning to feel the weight of this prophecy, beginning to weep, beginning to cry and mourn over this. Who is this one? What is this speaking of? Is it the nation of Israel? Is it a man? What is it? And could he have put it together with the wonderful counselor, mighty God? Mighty warrior, everlasting father, prince of peace. Could he put it together with the one who is the king who holds the keys? Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We esteem him stricken and smitten by God himself. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. Upon him is the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we're healed. But we all like sheep have gone astray. We turned, every one of us, to our own ways. And the Lord has laid upon him the sin and iniquity of all mankind. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And he didn't open his mouth. And like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like sheep that before its shearers, he was silent. And he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in him. Although he had done no violence, no deceit in his mouth. search to understand the Lord. How could we comprehend such a plan of God? Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that if the ruling powers and principalities had understood who Jesus was, they would not have crucified him. Israel did not receive and accept him. Yet he was given for us. Isaiah goes on with greater revelations. And he declares the resurrected power of what Christ accomplished, though he did not understand it. And he cries out, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear their allegiance. Christ has risen from the dead and accomplished salvation, and he declared it is finished. He humbled himself as a man, even as a servant, even unto death to offer salvation. So loved God the world. With his zeal, God sent his son to perform it. It was hidden, and he made bare his arm. It was spoken of, but no one conceived of the magnitude of what God would do for you and I. And it was written for us. It's our story. How could we not tell it? It is greater than any other story ever written. And there will be a day when on every human lip, and on every human tongue 
every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in confession, whether they confessed while they were living. But now all will confess when they see the majesty of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. Hallelujah. To the glory of the Father. And the final declaration Isaiah writes about and the angels look into is found in Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. The power of the resurrection. Oh my goodness. There is the gospel in Isaiah. There is Messiah found in the prophets. The angels wanted to consider it, look into it. The prophets sought it, but it was written for our benefit. This is your story. This is my story. Are we ashamed? No. Tell someone the majesty of this story. Tell them of the odds of anyone fulfilling so many prophecies. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the cross. Tell them about the manger. Tell them of God's love. Tell them of eternal life. Tell them of the resurrection. Invite as many as you can to Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.